It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Stan Dryav, Nick Braccia on deck to get into last week's UFC Fight Night, Watterson versus Hill. And of course, we're going to break down Covington versus Woodley coming up this weekend for you guys. Nick, it was a fantastic short notice main event for these two girls. They really showed up, really performed, and it was the kind of decision that could have easily gone either way. It ended up being a tie between you and me. Naturally, I'm leading 13 to 8 wins for you. You know, this next card's got 14 bouts. We got a lot to get through. Goddamn great men event we just went through, huh? It was it was remarkable. It went, I and mean, we we ended up both being right because I didn't think that that Waterson would be able to take her down um, and control her quite as easily as you did. And the first two two and a quarter rounds proved that. And then you know when Hill Hill kind of got her confidence back late, she did limit uh, more than a lot of people would think uh, Waterson's game plan and ground attack. And her striking, particularly the pace she was pushing for those first two and a half rounds, was really remarkable. And she still had plenty left in the tank in four and five. She was skittish in four after being held down for a bit in three. Um, And that, you know, I think that psychologically uh, hurt her. But she, Angela Hill, is absolutely uh, an an elite strawweight and deserves to be, you know, considered... Uh, most certainly a top 10 and probably more like a top seven uh, in that division. I'd love to see these two do it again. I look at other fights for them. I see some potentials, but I'm also like, you got two this good. Like this could very easily become a great trilogy. A great trilogy between Hill and Watterson? Yeah. I look at the matchups and I'm like, oh, there's a couple of fights I guess I'd want to see or some rematches, but I don't think Watterson can beat most of the people ahead of her. And Hill's always going to have limitations against the super elite explosive um, wrestlers. Like, what do I want to see Hill uh, against? Well, who would you want? Who would you want to see? I guess I'd want to see her against JJ, uh, Joanna G and Jakic. Like, that would be really fun. Um, but I wouldn't. I also just feel like there might be something special about this matchup, and I uh, I certainly wouldn't mind seeing it again. Yeah, I wouldn't also mind seeing Hill go up against Carlos Sparza, and I know Sparza's on a bit of a winning streak at this point, and Hill is coming off of two very, very close losses. But I would not mind seeing that matchup. That's literally Hill's second fight in her entire MMA career, right? It was on The Ultimate Fighter, and it was against one of yep. the best in the world. So I would love to see that matchup. I think that would be fascinating. Marina Rodriguez would be entertaining as heck. And yeah, outside of that, um, you know, she's already fought Gadelia, Ansaroff. She just fought Watterson. So Jan Jacek would be kind of the other person to look at. Already fought Andrade, although that was years ago. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good potential for uh, both of these two girls, I think, in the division. But and yeah, I agree that both of them are clearly top tenors. It's kind of weird to have Angela Hill ranked, you know, at number 13, even though she just went absolutely neck and neck and arguably won against Michelle Watterson, who's at number eight. But yeah, man, look, the first two rounds, uh, Angela Hill being the more athletic, the bigger fighter, she was able to pressure well. And that's, I thought, was going to be her way to win, right? Uh, generally, Watterson needs room to explode with her kicks, to counter from uh, kind of a long range. And 
Angela did a great job of cutting that off and, and removing that as, as, as kind of a way for Watterson to win. The thing is that Angela Hill, she does tend to slow down. She never stops trying. She never is exhausted to the point of not being able to throw out output, but she slows down and she's not quite as fast. Doesn't hit right. quite as hard later in a fight. And that was part of my concern is that Watterson did go five rounds with Jan Jacek just a couple of fights ago. And it's been years since since Angela's had the chance to do that. So that was definitely a factor for me in picking Michelle Watterson on top of the fact that I thought that as long as Angela's not consistently pressuring, Watterson should be able to get off on her distant kicks. And that kind of came true as well. And eh, again, a little my, bit, a little bit. Yeah. Well, in, in the, in the third, uh, she won the fourth and fifth round in essentially third. in that, in that way. I thought the third round she won largely by I didn't think getting she, that top position. Yeah. I didn't think she won the fifth, but it was, it was close. Yeah, that, that, um, that fifth it. was super close, but that is the offense that worked for Watterson. And I thought that Watterson really picked it up with about 60 seconds left, and she just really went for it. And then with about 15 seconds left, that's when uh, Angela And she got showed. that tie clinch, right. Yeah, and then she just started wailing on her. Um, really close fight. The argument could easily be made for either girl. I did think Watterson had the ever so slightest edge, but I was rooting for uh, Angie in this one, no doubt about it. Look, they're both elite. Uh, I think realistically, neither of them is going to be champion in the division, but I think either, either of them could be great kind of, you know, if you can beat this girl, you are eligible for a number of contenders fight or maybe eligible for a title shot. And yeah, there are some interesting matchups for either girl. I would say you're right. This would be a fascinating trilogy. If both these girls stick around in the UFC long enough to continue to compete against each other. That was a fantastic main event. If I'm matchmaking, I know that it's, I know they they probably want to fight people above them in the rankings, but two fights I'd be really interested to see would be Watterson against uh, Vierna Jandaroba. And I'd like to see Hill against Tisha Torres. I'm there with you. I think either of those would be fascinating. I think Hill versus Torres in particular would be a good kind of uh, kind of get right fight for Angela Hill because if she can't beat Tisha Torres, then she probably doesn't belong uh, in that top you know top six or seven anyhow. And I think that would be a good kind of get right for her. She beat her five years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, this was, I think this was Angela's like fourth pro fight or something crazy like that. Like she fought literally the very best immediately, hit the ground running. We spoke about it last week, how she had to learn on the job, made her pro debut in MMA, literally just so she could make it for, to the Ultimate Fighter because you have to have a pro fight in order yeah. to make it into the house. Imagine if she had, imagine how good she'd be if she had started younger. No joke, man. Yeah. Just remarkable. I remember her first run before she went back to Invicta. And it was just so clear. Oh, she's coming off of tough. She, this is a not ready for primetime fighter. She's not evolved. I didn't know that we'd ever see her again. And she looked she looked just like a like a world class, you know, top five, top eight, um, UFC, you know, UFC strawweight. I thought she would just. I think she's improved so much and easily could have. I think should have gotten the decision over Gadea, and she said that she thought the Waterson fight was closer than the Gadea one. I actually thought that she more can more clearly won the the Gadea fight than this fight, um, but I certainly thought this one could go either way. She's hanging in there with the best, and uh, I'd like to. Say, uh, she's got you know she's thirty five, I think. Um, whatever years she has left, I hope I hope they're really productive, successful years. I I've, I feel bad that she doesn't have a W to show for either of those last two fights because her performances were terrific. I know, just just the odds should give her at least one of these two extremely extremely close fights. I agree. 
And yeah, man, it, it, it is tough to see her going through this, especially since like that kind of can be the difference between a journey woman and a top contender is those extremely close decisions can literally make your career. But Angie's not the type to get mentally defeated. She's not the type to doubt herself enough to not make big improvements and perform. She's done it before. I expect that she'll do it again. And yeah, to your point, I would love a get right fight for her. I think that Tisha Torres would be the perfect candidate for that. Uh, zipping through the rest of the card, you were right uh, uh, about to question Kamaworthy's chin as he got uh, he got clipped early and often against yeah. Atman Azatar, uh, who has some ferocious power and fights fearlessly. Um, so interesting. Who do you want? Who do you want to see uh, Atman take on next? So we're talking about one fifty five here. Huh. Um. See, I don't want to. I don't want to rush the guy, but I also do want him to make it like deeper into a fight, so he can actually fight some some solid competition. Karma worthy, solid, right? But his chin just wasn't able to stand up. Look, if we're looking at the top fifteen, I mean, it gets real difficult right away. I wouldn't mind Gregor Gillespie. Drew Dober would be a fantastic fight. Um, somebody like Benio Daryush would be an incredible fight. I'm looking at top 15 for this guy because I think all he needs to do is land a couple of clean shots on a lot of these less experienced, less tested guys, and it's probably going to be it. So, yeah, after these two very impressive first-round finishes, I think Azatar deserves somebody in that top 15, somebody that's you know a favorable matchup because this kid could be something special. Here's a fight. Are you ready for yep. this one? Talk to me. What if it is the first fight for new... UFC signee, and I'm predicting this, Michael Chandler. Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, I think that they would be sacrificing a potential star in that matchup. Yeah. I mean, would it be entertaining as hell? Yes. But I feel like either way, whichever guy wins, whichever guy lands a monster right hand, or, or if Michael Chandler looking at that top position and, and rough him up there, it's going to be... You know, it, it's it's going to eliminate a solid contender. It's going to be an entertaining fight. So if we're talking about just for entertainment's sake, I'm in there with you. Yeah, I think that would be fun. Looking at the rest of the card, we had uh, Roxy. You know, I, I thought that I picked her, which scored me some points, despite sure. her being uh, such an underdog. And the reason why is as good a striker and as tough as Andrea Lee is, she's not physically strong comparatively she looks like someone yep. who could potentially succeed at straw weight i don't know how hard that cut is for her i can't remember if she has any history there but the women in roxy's been cha exchanging wins and losses for a while now pretty much since she came back yep. uh following tough but i mean if rock if roxy's technique um, can be overwhelmed by an opponent's strength. She gets put in a box because although her striking's better, she's not still you know generally going to win the fight on her kickboxing. And against Lauren Murphy, Lauren Murphy and Jennifer Maya are both quite physically strong and I think big you know bigger, more muscular than Roxy is. Yep. Um, Andrea Lee looks like she's built more like Michelle Waterson. I mean, she doesn't have the thickness of the legs, but she's got. She's not. Uh, she's just not massive, and she's not overly powerful. So, uh, I mean, they were about equal in strength, and Roxanne's uh, technique and craftiness was able to get her that top control. Her striking looked good. She landed a really nice corkscrew uppercut, which you didn't necessarily expect. Yeah. Uh, from her, a little Conor McGregor type shot, um, and Andrea Land Lee landed plenty of shots herself, and her and her grappling wasn't bad. It was a it was a good, pretty even fight. Bummer that Lee's lost three in a row. I know. But uh, Roxy, you know, Roxy's gonna Roxy if she's got if she's not gonna get out muscled, she can be competitive with anyone because her grappling technique is so advanced. Yeah, I mean, this fight could have 
easily gone either way by the stylistic matchup on paper, and that's kind of how it went. First round was clearly Roxy was able to get that top position. Second round, Andrea Lee was able to avoid those takedowns, and that's what I kind of leaned toward. I thought Andrea was would be able to do that in two of the three rounds and edge it out, and really it was a difference between that one single takedown in the third round. Once Roxy gets you down, if you're not extremely strong or a high-level grappler, she's probably going to keep you down there, and she was able to take Lee down. To your point, you're right. Lee is not as strong as some of the girls that Roxy has lost to uh, at least at this iteration of Roxy who focuses on strength and conditioning as much as anything else and really is the best version of herself and Roxy did it it's good to see Roxy win man I, I like both girls a lot but Roxy in particular you know she's got a special place in yeah. a lot of our hearts uh, and it's good to I see would have her liked, win yeah I would have liked to see her uh, push up and, and mount and try to lay some ground and pound I think she was nervous about losing position maybe yeah. Um, cause her elbows and her ground and pound has gotten, have gotten quite good, but we really didn't see, she stayed busy landing like pitter patter shots, but we didn't see any of those like ferocious elbows, um, or like the really potent ground and pound that she unleashed on Macy Barber and, uh, Barbara Honchik and some other, uh, other opponents. Um, we're moving really, really quickly. Ed Herman versus Mike Rodriguez was a complete clusterfuck, but I <laughs> won the pick because Ed, cause Ed Herman landed, uh, or was able to score a Kimura, which we don't, was it a Kimura or an Americana? It was a Kimura, right? It was a Kimura. Nick, you and I both yeah. know that, uh, Ed Herman got finished in that second round and the referee literally, instead of calling the fight, gave him a break. <laughs> Like, I think that so the bad, knee man. on the way down it, it nudged against the cup, and you know, Nick he he didn't he didn't drop because of a nudge. He dropped because he was basically knocked out. It was so bad, man. It was one of the worst calls I've ever seen. I, he was. Yeah. There's a reason that referees don't don't give credit for low blows and and eye pokes if they don't see it. And this ref didn't see it. Herman didn't even claim that he was hit low blow. Right? He just kind of fell down. That could have been a low Herman blow. Did could not have been act, a body shot. No. But he did not. He did not point to his thing. He made no. Herman did no. He played not he until played after, after Herman after realized. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was look. It was it was a veteran move by Herman. But we both know that Mike Rodriguez absolutely deserved that win. It, it was just so weird. It's so funny. Yeah. Bobby Green points uh, points dominated. for me. Yes, sir. Bobby Green dominated Patrick like I thought. Uh, like we thought he would. I do just quickly want to say we are uh, on our fifth week in a row of profits in the betting guide, Nick, and we are now. Uh, I think we had like something like a forty percent return on investment in this one. I'll get into it in the third segment of the podcast. But a really uh, another good uh, betting week for us, Nick. And Bobby Green was kind of integral in that. Uh, dominated Patrick. He was he was better, faster, better takedown defense, and uh, you know it, it, it's exactly as we expected. And then uh, Billy Quarantillo, man, he started dominating Kyle Nelson from minute one. I expected him to have a rough first round. He's had rougher first rounds against lesser fighters. The first round was competitive. A lot of judges gave the first round and ne- gave it to Nelson, but Nelson didn't overwhelm him the way that Spike Carlisle did. Oh, well, that's the thing is that everybody seemed to have overwhelmed him prior to this fight in the first round. And Kyle Nelson is yeah. a monster in the first round. He he did really well against Diego Ferreira, who is a top, top guy at 155 in his UFC debut in that first round. But yeah, man, Billy Quarantillo looking really good. That, that conditioning along with a faster start is big for him. I expected him to get dominated in the first, and it was, like you said, very competitive. Sarju Banks used her veteranship, the fact that she's been training properly for a longer time for a fight, uh, beat Julia Vila, man. She had a rough first round, and then Julia Vila gave up a couple of takedowns, and that was that. And then Roosevelt Roberts, Nick, uh, that was uh, your pick, Oof. actually. Ended up getting a late Oof. replacement, a journeyman from the local scene, a record of 22, uh, I'm sorry, 21 and 12 leading into this fight, Nick. Caught him with a big right hand and then choked him out. I do quickly want to say this. This is so funny to me. For the second fight in a row, Roosevelt Roberts tweets at Michael Bisping, 
who is the announcer for the card before he comes out for his fight and says, if you're impressed by that knockout, just watch what I do to Jim Miller. And then Jim Miller finishes him in the first round. And then he does it again, Nick. He tweets at Michael Bisping and says, Yeah, stop tweeting Michael Bisping. You idiot. He tweets at Michael Bisping and, and as Michael Bisping is informing us of the fact that uh, Roosevelt Roberts promised a knockout against Kevin Kroom, Kevin Kroom hurts him terribly with the right hand and then finishes him very shortly with a guillotine. That was a fantastic debut for a journeyman. Yeah. It was something else. Alexander Romanoff, man, he is the truth. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I was excited about him a couple of weeks ago. I had him at even odds uh, in his scheduled UFC debut last week, and unfortunately this one, the odds were so lopsided. But, yeah, he just dominated. He's a fucking monster. He did a Lesnar. He did, he did a Lesnar. We haven't seen it in a while. He actually made the the bull riding gesture uh, while he was fighting him. Did you see he? Um, which is which is a little bit obnoxious, but also kind of funny. Yeah, I'm I'm very much into this guy. He is the Khabib slash Lesnar, but without all of Lesnar's holes so far at heavyweight. Obviously, like we need to see him against high level competition, but this was about as one sided a beating as Martinez has ever received. Um, and then Jalen Turner, you know, made relatively quick work of Brock Weaver. Uh, I think we expected that largely. Yep. Bar- Brian Barbonero, who you mentioned, uh, you know, dominated Anthony I- Ivy. Barbarina, excuse me. Speaking of Lesnar, I haven't seen anyone since Lesnar against Carwin, uh, like, cover up the way... Like, every time Barbarina touched him, and we're not, like... No one walks around... I like Brian Barbarina a lot. He's a fun striker. He's got he's got a little bit of pop. Um, but I've, but the way Anthony Ivey was responding to his strikes, you, would, you thought that he was hitting, like, you know, landing, like, McGregor left hands. It was... You know, every time Barbarini would touch him, he would he would cover up his face completely and back off into a crouch. And I, I don't know if it's because he got I think he got knocked out in his last fight or, or That's what, what it but is. I think you can't you can't be you can't be responding that way to 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 strikes, uh, particularly to a guy who's not known for his knockout power. It looks terrible. No, I, I definitely agree. I think a big part of it is because he was coming off of that knockout loss. And then Sabina Mazo, Nick, I picked her by knockout because I expected her to be able to land that head yeah. kick sooner or later against Justin Keish, who keeps her hands well, down. she did. Um, I, I actually, well, she, she ended up having to submit her. I actually placed a bet on her, yeah. like plus 700 odds. But she submitted her because she no, she knocked her silly with a head kick. Oh, yeah, 100%. But I ended up, like, I, I expected that head kick to work enough to lead oh. to TKO. And I, and I bet her... It was only ten bucks. Don't get me wrong, but plus seven hundred odds would have been seventy dollars if he had just she had just been able to TKO her. But unfortunately, she uh, used that uh, had that last minute knockout uh, submission after the knockdown. A solid fucking card overall, Nick. Like, there's no complaints. Oh, it was about this such one. a good card. Such a good card. By the way, by the way, Kit Kish acquitted herself really well and was winning yeah, one of the first two rounds on the judges' scorecards. A hundred percent, and in my scorecard too. I talked about how Kish is like super underrated. Consistently, everybody keeps uh, uh, counting her out, and she's a solid fighter. But man, like the fact that she kept her hands down, I scouted that, and that's exactly what hurt her in this one against a girl who's got serious head kicks against a very tall girl. Uh, I am impressed by Mazo and Justine Kish accounted well for herself as well. Nikolai, let's take a break. Come back and get into the. Kobe Covington versus Tyron Woodley fight. Back on the MMA Geeks podcast, here to break down the following card. 
We've got a pretty interesting main event between Kobe Covington and Tyron, the chosen one, Woodley. He is the chosen one to hopefully knock his teeth out. God damn it, Nikolai. Uh, I believe I have the first pick this week. Uh, for those that don't know, for the listeners, the way we do this is that we take turns picking fighters on the card, and at the end of Saturday night, whoever has the most winning fighters ends up winning the week. The tally currently is 13 points, 13 event wins for me, and eight for Nick. Nick, my first... And what, like five ties? I think five ties also. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that sounds about right. Uh, a bunch of uh, ties in there, Nick. My first just to take be clear is, that you 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 win just as much as you don't win. All right, go ahead. Whatever makes you feel good, buddy. Uh, my my first pick is going to be <laughs> in the main event. I'm going to take Kobe Covington. Oh my to god, beat. you did it! I uh, yeah, oh yeah. It. I was gonna I was gonna be my first pick too, even though I think there's short there's shorter odds bets. I absolutely agree with you, but go ahead. Yeah, man. Uh, Woodley's look a Division One NCA wrestler has a heart, explosive right hand on the counter. He constantly backs up against the cage. He doesn't really use his wrestling uh, lately, right? He scored two takedowns in the last six years, Nick. His defensive wrestling isn't great anymore. He gave up four takedowns in his last two fights and only gave up one in his entire UFC career prior to that. He's got a low strikeout, but has never landed more than 60 strikes in a five-round fight, Nick. That is unbelievably depressing lands about two strikes per minute on average what's that your stats are off he's in his last two fights he's been taken down a lot more than four times according to the official statistics he got taken down twice by each guy but i, I agree with you i remember what? there being more spent takedowns the entire than Usman, he spent the entire usman fight on his back i'm looking at the stats and i'm and i'm reporting the stats here uh covington's right. got elite cardio he's an asshole but he's extremely hardworking and disciplined i hear that he goes to bed at 10 p.m doesn't fuck around he eats extremely clean all the year round he never stops training he never goes out of shape he's also a division one all-american wrestler he's got a pressure grapple striking style averages five takedowns per fight which is extremely impressive just having the cardio to be able to pull that off but then on top of that having the cardio to be able to land over 300 strikes nick in his last two fights that's uncanny right he switched from american top team recently he was kicked out of that gym over to mma masters which is also in florida and kind of on the come up they they have at least one other fighter on this card look woodley landed 326 strikes in his last eight fights combined nick and Covington landed 322 in his last two fights alone. Covington pressures opponents against the cage, and Woodley automatically backs up against the cage. Woodley has power in his right hand. Colby has a great chin, although he's coming off of a broken jaw. Uh, Woodley's cardio is okay. Colby's cardio is elite. What's in Woodley's favor is that he has that tiny chance of landing that right hand on the counter, right? Especially with Colby coming off a TKO loss. Uh, also, Tyron is undefeated against Southpaws. And that partially because it makes his right hand a lot more landable, but I'm not sure it'll be that simple in this matchup. I think this will be one-sided fight where Tyron Woodley is a fraction of his former self, and his former self was just a good fighter. Covington is in his prime, and he, he is, in my opinion, an elite fighter. Uh, this will be a Kobe Covington unanimous decision, and I'll be surprised if Woodley takes more than one round. What are your yeah, thoughts, buddy? I, I mean, listen, now that you've picked it, I'm going to be rooting for Woodley, but I expect this fight to be pure pain to watch, just like Usman Woodley, just like Burns Woodley. Um, I just don't think he's going to be able to do anything. He can't He can't pull the trigger. Colby's going to put his head down and do, and do whatever he wants, and Woodley's going to spend most of this fight on his back not being able to do anything about it. Or with I his think back to the cage, I, think that's I agree. Most likely. Yeah, or yep. I, I th- yeah, or this back to the cage. I just, I think it's going to be totally boring and total domination. We're going to see a, a human being that we hate uh, become a star again. 
uh, or yeah. sort of reiterate that he it, it re- cement himself as a star, which I have no interest in seeing. I I actually hope that one of them gets COVID because I don't want to see this. Wishing COVID on people, for God's sake, Nick. You know that kills people sometimes. I'm the heel on this show. Yeah, but MMA fighters seem to be able to shake it off and then get back to training with no problem. That's Daniel Cormier. Um, you heard about that, right? Okay. No. So No, what's this? D- DC had COVID before sleep yeah. During, like, I think his his first negative test was like three weeks out from the fight. I might be wrong about that, but yeah, there was a period in July where uh, his team, where he, his training partner had COVID. He had COVID, and oh, he wow. just kind of like trained through it. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it depends on the kind of symptoms he got, but that's interesting. I had I had no idea. Uh, what is your first pick? My first pick is uh, Miguel uh, Baeza uh, to defeat Jeremiah Wells. Um, it's a real tough draw for Wells in in his in his UFC debut, and uh, Baeza looked you know he looked okay in his first round against Matt Brown, but then just like brought out the murder sauce, and I think he's a real uh, I just think he's a real prospect. I think he's really somebody to watch, and I I think Wells is kind of a regional guy who's getting a bump up here. Yeah, I mean, uh, Baez is a serious prospect from MMA Masters, which is where Covington trains now. So if he had him as a training partner, that's another big notch to his credit. 2-0 in the UFC, both wins by KO, and his last fight being over Matt Brown after a rough first round. He ended up knocking him out clean. Wells is super athletic, but he's not very experienced. He's not super fast, but he's explosive. He's got solid counters and kind of a questionable ground game. I think Baez is taller, more experienced, and will stay undefeated here unless Wells takes advantage of a puncher chance so i'm on the same page with you and this was in my uh, top couple of picks as well my next pick nick i'm going to take kamzat chimaev to beat gerald mirchart i don't uh, think the odds are reasonable pick. here yeah uh, but the here's the thing there are several ways in which i would have picked gerald mirchart to get the upset here right trains under duke rufus mirchart does with the likes of tyron woodley He's only really dangerous on the ground since he's a BJJ black belt. He's a tall southpaw with decent striking. He is super slow. He isn't very athletic and doesn't have the best chin. He can stop a prospect's hype train as he did when he finished uh, somebody like Darren Wynn as kind of a big underdog. So, you know, this is a spot in which he's been in before. He is 2-4 and four in his last six fights, though. Um, but I will say he should be 4-2 and two, as Anders and Holland decisions probably should have gone his way. Chemayev trains at All-Star MMA in Sweden with the likes of Alexander Gustafsson. He's seen as a blue-chip prospect. Mostly because he dominated a terrible middleweight and an undersized lightweight in his first two UFC bouts. He does have solid wrestling, excellent control, damage and ground and pound. His stand-up is not very developed, but he has super heavy hands. If he lands clean, you're probably going down. Earlier in his career, opponents were able to stand up from bottom and defend takedowns. I can see some more of that being exploded, exploited here, right? Um, if Kamzat didn't have serious power and Mirchart didn't have a fragile chin, I'd probably be picking Mirchart here. But Kamzat is faster, more durable, stronger, hits harder, and has better wrestling. Judging by what Oscar Piacetta and Jack Hermanson were able to do to Mirchart early, I'm going with Kamzat here. Yeah, I mean, the Kamzat hype train is going fast. And yes, again, in those two performances, he looked like Habib on Super Soldier Serum. Um, but yeah. is this, you know, it's... Listen, is this is this going to be his? Uh, you know, is he going to be a Johnny Walker? Or is he going to be a Conor McGregor? This the the, the we're going to know a lot more about that in the next two months with these two fights that he has lined up. Um, I, I think certainly, so. I certainly was picking him, but Mirshard's got a chip on his shoulder. Doesn't like the way he's being treated or spoken about. 
um, by the UFC. I mean, the fact that they, you know, he, he's made, he's made it clear that his goal is for Chimaev to not, I mean, he wants to win, but he says Chimaev is not going to leave in condition to fight in October. And I think he, he takes it as an insult that someone's assuming a guy's going to leave a, a professional prize fight without a medical suspension. Um, uh, so yeah, he's, he's going to, there's such a big athletic gap here on top of the durability issue that Mirchard has. I just feel like, you know, a comeback after getting dominated early is less likely if Kamzat seems to just have relentless pace and will do so much damage when he dominates you early uh, that even if he doesn't finish it, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's likely Chimaev by whatever he wants, but you never know. Yes, sir. What's your next pick, bud? I'm going to go with uh, Maria Buena Silva again, who's taking on uh, Mara Romero Barella. I liked uh, I liked Buena Silva against in in the fight that she lost uh, to Marina Moroz. If I recall, she busted up Moroz uh, quite a bit. You know, had her bleeding from the head and and held her own in that fight. Tell me if I'm wrong, but that's, that's my recollection. And it wasn't able to go back and look, look at the tape at all. And Barella hasn't shown us much of anything in her, in her UFC run, uh, losing to Courtney Casey, Montana De La Rosa, who never has impressed me too much and getting, uh, getting finished by Lauren Murphy. So she, she just hasn't, uh, you know, I guess she's durable to some extent. I mean, she went to a decision against Caitlin Kuchagian, but Kuchagian kind of pitter patters from the outside. I just, uh, I just think Silva's um, tougher, and what she showed alone in that Moreau's fight, and in her win against Jillian Robertson, um, shows me that she guess she's got what it takes to kind of win at this level. Whereas Barella hasn't really conveyed that. Yeah, I'm I'm there with you on the pick. Of course, the thing about Silva is that she's like a pressure fighter, solid one-two with power. Good kicks and knees, throws plenty of calf kicks and high kicks, and sets up knees from the tie clinch. Very aggressive and physically strong. Excellent submissions, uh, especially off of her back. Her one loss is to Marina Moroz, and Moroz barely survived that fight to win a decision. Um, she can be taken down and held down if an opponent's submission defense is elite, but she's not that great at getting up because she's more of a like looking for submissions kind of girl. And like you said about Barella, she's an Italian fighter who trains at ATT in Florida, two and four in the UFC, coming off of a submission loss to a journey woman in Courtney Casey, kind of a jack of all trades and not really great anywhere, not terrible anywhere either, to be fair. She gets at least one takedown per fight, which, you know, that is how Silva lost her last fight. So I guess there's a small chance there, but Silva is better still. Standing on the ground, she will hunt Barella down and punish her. There's a chance that Barella steals around with a takedown, but I think it's just as likely that she'll get submitted from top position. So I, I am there with you, and that was, you know, in my top few, in my top few picks certainly coming up here. My next pick is going to be in the Kevin Holland and Darren Stewart matchup. Nick, yeah. I. I, I like I like Kevin Holland here. He's tall, rangy, has solid, fast striking when he's forced to use it, has weird kind of Luthes press kind of takedown, like a pro wrestling move where he just kind yeah. of hops on an opponent, hoping that he falls back. Solid overall ground game. Um, tries hard to stunt on an opponent and sometimes looks kind of silly doing it. He doesn't like to be pressured, and he tends to get the judges' nod in super, super close fights. Stewart is 5-5 five and five in the UFC, trains at London Shoe Fighters with Michael Venom Page. Decent 
pressure power striker will go for takedowns when needed and he can be taken down um he can have a slow start but is improving tremendously he started his ufc career at 0 and 3 and it's 5 and 2 since then so by no means is this guy to be uh you know overlooked here even though he has an even ufc record he's kind of a gatekeeper for the prospects at this point in his career uh there's a chance that stewart pressures him effectively and wins rounds from top position but holland should have the range striking and ground game to win a decision here yeah, I agree with you. I'm glad that Stewart was able to get that win in his last fight, but uh, they both, you know, they both uh, came out against not quite ready for UFC guys uh, in their last fights, and and both looked both looked dominant. But uh, Holland's, I just, I think, I think Holland's just a little bit, a little bit more athletic, rangier, and he's got he's got really terrific composure. I just see him, uh, I see him having fun in there, and me, I mean, maybe wins a tough decision. I could also see him finishing the fight. Um, my next pick is I'm going to go with, this might be controversial. Uh, I actually am going to pick Nico price to defeat Donald Cerrone. Uh, I think that price, I mean, he did just get beat up by Luke a, a bit, but I think he hits really hard and he's just at the level of fighter that I don't think Cerrone can handle anymore. Um, Donald's He's, Donald Cerrone is always always going to be tough, but his jaw is now about as durable as his liver, which is not which is to yes, say sir. not very. And mm-hmm. I just think, I mean, Cerrone might come out, you know, he he might uh, come out throwing kind of like he did against Alexander Hernandez, right? Uh, but I, I I just think that Price is going to be able to hurt him uh, whenever he touches him, and I don't think that Cerrone will get him out of there before Price is able to touch him. Yeah, I think a lot of this really depends on how the first few minutes of the fight go. Uh, Cerrone's known as being super exciting, right? He gets subs. He he has knockouts on his record throughout it against high-level competition. But at 37, like you said, he's able to take a clean shot without crumbling physically and mentally. That's the thing. He gets, he gets hit clean. He just kind of freezes for a moment, giving his opponent the opportunity to realize he's hurt and the opportunity to really jump on him and finish him. Um, he's on a four-fight losing streak, but three of those fights were against the best at lightweight in Ferguson, Gaethje, and McGregor. He's an expert at beating short wrestle boxers, but has had trouble against pressure fighters and southpaws. Uh, solid kicks from a distance, excellent knees uh, on the counter. He used to have bad takedown defense, but his wrestling is really much better, and that's an area where I think Cerrone, if he's smart, he can go for and really exploit Price. Uh, Price is a madman. He prefers to counter early and slowly picks up the pace until he's all-out swarming his opponent. Also, if he has an opponent hurt, he's all offense, serious killer instinct on that guy, and that's why he's finished every one of his wins. I don't think he's ever gone to the decision, actually. He's an opportunistic finisher with multiple KO wins from the bottom position, which is extremely rare. Solid front kick to the chin and body, which I think can be an issue for Cerrone. Uh, Cerrone is slow, but Price is slower. Cerrone doesn't respond well to pressure, but Price doesn't pressure right away. It uh, doesn't pressure early, which is when Cerrone tends to lose. Cerrone's chin is refurbished at best, and Price has serious power with every body part in every position. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I like Price here to catch a clean shot, but I wouldn't be surprised if Cerrone's able to get takedowns and win uh, either a decision or by submission. Uh, this is this is going to be an exciting fight no matter which way it goes. I just hope it's not depressing. Yep. My next a lot of potential, is- A lot of potential depressing fights on this card. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, depressing in this case because Cerrone, you know, if he just gets mollywop, that would be it, it. Would be tough to watch, I guess. Uh, my next pick is going to be. Uh, I, I feel like I feel like there's some risk here for the rest of these bouts. I'm going to pick. There is TJ. 
TJ Laramie to beat Derek Minner. Laramie's a yep. huge favorite, but I think it's it's probably a, l- a little bit too big, especially going into his UFC debut against Derek Minner, who's actually been able to compete in the UFC. Laramie should be able to avoid Minner's takedowns and punish him standing. The 22-year-old is short, stocky, and powerful. Minner's a great ground game and could catch something early. Uh, in fact, Laramie in his contender series bout, he you know he wasn't too far off from getting caught in submissions before he was able to take over and punish that guy. Uh, but uh, Minner will be tired after being super dangerous for like three minutes and then I think it's all Laramie from there if Laramie wants to finish this fight he will it's just a matter of uh put pressing his foot to the pedal cool uh yeah it does get it does get a little funky uh with the who do you have in that gonna, fight you know buddy? what I'm gonna get oh sorry in that in that fight I had Laramie cool the um yeah, man. There's a whole bunch of things, but for I'm gonna t- I'm gonna do some. I'm gonna take a real gamble here, mm-hmm. uh, even though it's earlier than I thought I was gonna pick this. But what the hell? I'm gonna pick Johnny Walker over Ryan Spann. Tell uh, me more. Wa- obviously, the Walker hype train was derailed to some extent. He didn't look he didn't look terrible in his uh, in his fight against Nikita Krylov. Um, he obviously got you know got stopped by Corey Anderson, but anybody could get stopped by Corey Anderson, particularly if they fight the way that he does. The thing uh, the thing that worries me more is although Ryan Spann had success on the Contender Series, and I really was like excited about him uh, following his his defeat him defeating Little Nog and Devin Clark that. That split decision against Sam Alvey, where like I think Alvey knocked him down in the third round, was super shaky. He looked te- he looked tentative and he looked slow. And if you are either of those things, Johnny Walker will eat you for dinner. So I I think Walker's going to be the same Walker that he always is, and I could see. I could see him giving Span confidence and composure issues, especially since he barely eked out that fight against like an over the hill Sam Alvey. Um, I could, yeah, I just have a, I have a set, a feeling that that Ryan Span's going to give Johnny Walker the space he needs to overwhelm him. So. I, I disagree with this pick. Uh, Walker recently switched to training under Faraz Zahabi at TriStar Gym, to his credit, right? He's got a legitimate head coach now who knows the game and who I think will instill patience and maybe a jab into this guy. That's really, Faraz Zahabi, besides being a brilliant MMA mind, he's all about patience. He's all about that jab. Uh, he's super explosive early. Johnny Walker is athletic as anyone at 205 with his, with his strikes, but he doesn't have a great chin. He doesn't have a good gas tank. He doesn't have a good ground game. His takedown defense isn't great. And his get-up game kind of sucks. Also, his MMA IQ isn't very high. But again, Faraz Zahabi might help with that. Uh, Span trains at Fortis MMA. He's on a seven-fight win streak, solid striking fundamentals, has power in his hands. We'll go for takedowns against someone who has power, as he did against Alvi. The thing is that he knew to go for takedowns against Alvi, who has a really powerful right hook. He's going to know to go for takedowns against Johnny Walker. He um he's been KO'd twice, so his chin and recovery are in question. He should have the uh, he should have lost the decision to Alvi in his last fight. But if you get bested by Alvi, like th- there is question, right? How good are you if you can get bested by him? I'm not sure that Johnny Walker gets to a fight with Alvi either. I think the big question is in this fight is uh, how much effect was the hobby able to have on Walker in one training camp? While Walker can KO Span, which makes this a pick'em, I expect Span to get Walker to tire, whether in the clinch or from top position, and he should win by decision or late stoppage if he doesn't get caught in the first round. 
So that's our first point of disagreement, Nick. Um, my next pick, man, even though some of these fights, the odds are the odds are far apart, I, I still largely see him as pickums. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going. With, I agree with you. Yeah, um, I'm going to take Jessica. I'm going to uh, I'm going to take Jessica Rose Clark to beat Sarah Alper. Alper is yep, actually yep. like so, solid takedowns. Um, hits really hard, right? She's pretty relentless. And Jessica Rose Clark is more more just weathered. She's got so much more experience at a high level. She has lost to like some really good fighters, but she also has a couple of impressive wins on her record that that uh, you know at first thought you wouldn't necessarily realize that she has. Um, I think for Alper, this being her UFC debut, Clark is much more technical standing. Even though Alper hits harder, Alper has good takedowns and top control, but Clark has good takedown defense and solid footwork. Clark also does a good job of getting up and or switching kind of to top position from the bottom. I have some concerns about Clark still being fresh late, but I'll edge her way in a by a close margin because uh, Alper here will have good conditioning. She's not going to get tired uh, soon, but uh, but yeah, again, a, right. a risky pick, even though she's a big favorite. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure Alper's going to go down in weight class. I wasn't that impressed with her win on the Contender Series. She's big and strong. Um, True, but it's over a good opponent, and she finished her. Yeah, she did finish her with a choke, but she just technically she looked really sloppy, Uh, sloppy in her strikes. Her choke, her choke looked good at the end, but she just uh, I did not think that her her technique, frankly, didn't even look Invicta level to me. Um, But she's obviously very strong and comes at you like a bull. Uh, yeah. A lot of questions for Jessica Rose Clark. She said, I, "I think she was at Syndicate, and now she's not. Um, she's with a different gym in California. That's, that's my understanding. Maybe when she was at Syndicate, it was only part time or something. Uh, and I don't know that she's had a fight because it's been a, almost a year since she's fought. So I I was picking Jesse Jess in this fight as well, but with the big question of it's been almost a year. I think maybe she switched camps. COVID COVID's going on. Like what version? What version uh, of Jesse Jess is going to show up? If it's the Paige Van Zant version, then yeah, I pick I, I, I pick her in this fight. If it's been a rough year and like and her new ca- her new her new uh, camp isn't as good, her new gym, then may, you know Alper is going to be a tough. It's just going to be a tough out based on strength. Um, so that's, but I, I agree that. with you. I agree. I agree with you on the pick, and I probably should have picked this before Johnny Walker over Ryan Span. But you know, I'm crazy like that. Um, <laughs> What's your next one, bud? Uh, my next pick is I'm gonna pick uh, the delightful and attractive Mackenzie Dern over Random Marcos. Uh, Marcos has been trading wins and losses basically as long as Roxy has, maybe longer. I think her entire UFC stint. And she's due for a win, but I don't think it's over this this post baby Dern, uh, who came out tough and looked in tremendous shape, looked way bet in way better shape than before she had the kid, um, in her fight against uh, against Hannah Siffers. Um, I just think that I think Marcos is pretty good everywhere, and she's I don't think she's a slouch on the ground, but I just. I think she's going to end up in positions against Mackenzie Dern that she does not want to be in and that Dern is going to um, get a submission without too much trouble in this fight. Yeah, um, I don't know about without too much trouble because Marcos has a solid ground game and it seems like anytime Dern faces somebody with a good ground game, if they're on the ground, 
she can do well and she can hold top position, but she doesn't tend to finish unless a girl kind of sucks on the ground in general, I think. Um, I'll go with Dern here, who will at least hold Marcos down if she gets her there. She has a better gas tank and more will late in the fight. She has multiple third-round finishes, uh, submissions, of course, and that's where Marcos is exhausted usually. Uh, she should be competitive on the feet, but here's the thing. She has terrible takedown uh, percentages, right? Dern does. 7%, Nick. I've never seen such a low number, especially for a grappling specialist. And Marcos, again, has decent takedowns, doesn't go for many, and okay takedown defense. So I could see Marcos roughing her up on the feet and just landing more, but Dern does hit hard. She has athletics. I think she has a reach advantage in this matchup. Um, I do see it as very much a pick I think it's going to be a very close decision in all likelihood unless Dern can uh, catch her when she's exhausted in the third round. But I am largely on the same page with you. My next pick is going to be Tyson Nam to beat Jerome Rivera. Uh, Jerome Rivera is kind of a tall, lanky guy for 125. I think Nam should be able to avoid takedowns and land a clean counter for the win. Rivera has good entries, but isn't strong enough to get his the fight to the ground where he is best because Nam is not only strong and large and hits hard, but he has really good takedown defense. His right hand will be the perfect uh, kind of antidote against the southpaw who presses forward and doesn't move his head off the center line, which Rivera uh, does not. Uh, only risk Nam of uh, only risk I think of Nam losing here is I guess there's a chance like. Rivera has a good ground game, so I guess there's a chance he can get submitted, but he's never been submitted, and Nam has excellent takedown defense. So uh, I think the only chance really of him losing here is if Rivera just outworks him. Uh, Nam tends to kind of wait for that perfect shot and sometimes loses the decision that way, but his two losses are two of the best uh, to two of the best in the division. I don't think that that describes Rivera. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that, but I hope that you lose. I hope that you lose the pick. Uh, I'm going to pick... You're very kind, uh, we just got a couple of minutes left here um, for this segment. I'm going to pick David uh, Dvorak at flyweight to defeat. Uh, he's up against Espinoza, correct? Against Jordan Espinoza. Yep. Uh, yep. You know, consider considered a, a pick 'em fight uh, all around, but I really I liked him in his fight against Bruno Silva. I think um, Espinoza is a little bit more of of a journeyman. I think Dvorak's been fighting for something ridiculous when i check like he's been he's been fighting for uh for 10 years already and mo- he hasn't had a loss in eight years uh, he started as he's only 28 and he's got 10 years of experience um the win that espinoza had in you know in his recent memory wins aren't against very high level competition mark de la rosa is not really ufc level um and getting stopped in the first round by both alex perez and matt schnell uh doesn't it doesn't bode well i think uh that the fighter uh, from the Czech Republic is is going to pull this one out. Yeah, I'm there with you on the pick. I, I do think there's a lot of risk here. Um, like you said, Dvorak made his pro debut at age 18 and has been undefeated since he was 19. But he was on that kind of Polish, Czech, Eastern European scene, which is not super, super high-level MMA. He's got 14 straight wins over seven years, including his UFC debut over Bruno Silva. And he was impressive there. He got hurt badly in that first round and then was able to still win that second and third rounds. Even though he took the fight on short notice, he was pushing like literally 100% at the very end of that fight making sure that he got the decision so i like his fight iq he actually was a chess player before he went into mma switches stances uh really respectable striking can't get a submission against a tired opponent espinoza's super super fast 
pass, right? He likes pot yep. shots from the outside before exiting the pocket, does well when striking first, not as good when the opponent is pressing, and I think Dvorak will know to press. Um, he like he kind of needs space to work, not unlike Michelle Waterson. He does have good conditioning, uh, whereas earlier in his career, that was a little bit of an issue, and good entries into uh, double leg. Espinosa is fast and well-conditioned. He's more athletic, but Dvorak has solid timing on the counters. Dvorak will have the better ground game. He's more crafty, partially because of an experience edge. I'm going with Dvorak, but uh, by a tiny margin. But again, this could easily go either way. We're on the same page on that one. My next pick yeah, is going to be... Yeah, just so... You know, you just mentioned he's been fighting the, uh, on the, the, the Polish circuit. He also has wins over multiple Ukrainian and Chechnyan fighters. So he's, it's, you know, he's, he's in there. It's, he's not just like running the, like the Polish-Czech circuit. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear that. Um, I, I didn't see okay. a in like a whole lot of insane records, although his last couple wins were over good guys. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna. I'm going to choose next in the Randy Costa versus Journey Newsom matchup. Yep. I, I assume that Journey Newsom is probably the uh, underdog here. Newsom is short but has solid brock boxing, he's great not, defense, serious uh, power. He's not the right odds hand. underdog, you know. Newsom's Newsom's favorite. Oh, he's, by the, he's odds. the favorite. Okay. Yeah. yeah ba- right, well, remember he cool. had that he had that amazing knockout before he got busted. He pot. Yeah. He had yeah, a, yeah. That's a, right. For pot for of all things, a marijuana like that's oh, insane that's, oh, that a win got taken away from. I didn't him realize that. that that was a, that was for weed. Okay, keep going. Yeah, yeah. So he's got good takedown defense, consistent leg kicks, actually pretty good wrestling overall. Excellent boxing. His father is actually a boxer with like 23, 26 wins, something like that. Costa's one and one in the UFC. He's got serious power in his hands. Tall for bantamweight, switches stances, but he's got questionable cardio. He hasn't really gone past the second round in his career. Uh, he like there's a chance that Costa can finish here early, but I'm leaning towards Newsom here. He's going to have excellent defense. Um, he's going to have the boxing chops to avoid most of his offense. And I think he can land that right hand on Costa once Costa is tired. Also, he has good wrestling. So if he can get those early takedowns, uh, he should be able to do well here. I, I like Newsom. And I, uh, I, I do too, especially now that I know that it was, that it was pot. So I'm going to make an adjustment yep. to my, uh, uh, to my pick here. Uh, so did Newsom's- you originally have Randy Costa? I was mostly because I thought that this guy was coming back after um, after getting busted and Costa fights for Joe out of Joe Lozon's camp, um, but I thought it. that it was a PED bust. So got it. Good, good on you for actually looking into the drugs. So my next pick. This will be okay. This is is this a tiebreaker or is this not? I believe this is the last pick of fourteen fights, so not a tiebreaker. Okay, so We're not a break. seven fights. Apiece. Okay, I'm gonna pick Erwin Rivera over Andre Yule, and a lot of this is like Yule's had some had some impressive moments, but you know he looked best against uh, Henan Barrow, which isn't saying a whole heck of a lot. And he's done. He's looked okay against not great competition. Fight IQ is a little bit iffy. I thought that Rivera's win against Ali Alcaisi was a really terrific fight. Just just uh, last month. Um, and I like, I mean, I usually don't like fighters coming back so soon, but what he showed, what he showed me in that fight, as far as dealing with everything Al Casey was throwing at him, combined with the fact that he went, he went three rounds with a terrific kickboxer in Giga Chikadze. Um, I think that, uh, I think Rivera is going to have what it takes over, over three rounds to get more in against Andre Yule. Uh, yeah, I am. I am. Uh, I did end up edging Rivera ever so slightly. I know he's the underdog of this one. It's just that Andre yeah, Yule heavy, gets exhausted. Heavy Heavy underdog yeah. based on his last. How you can look at these two guys and go plus one seventy five based on his performance against Elia Casey, 
and looking at Ewell's last couple performances is beyond me, but whatever. I, th- I think part of it is Ewell's height advantage. He's super fast, uh, hits very hard with that left hand, at least early, but he does slow down. And Irvin Rivera, even on short notice, the guy never stops trying, never stops moving forward and trying to get you. I do have some concerns about Rivera getting caught with counters against Ewell here. Uh, there's an athletic disparity in this matchup, but, but yeah, I mean, there's a reason this is the last pick on our list. Quickly going to run through our picks, Nick. My picks were uh, Kobe Covington, Shemaev. I chose... Uh, uh, TJ Laramie, Kevin Holland. I had Jessica Rose Clark, uh, Randy Costa. Your picks were Miguel Baeza, uh, Myra Bueno Silva. You had, did you have Tyson Am or did I? No, you did. You did. I, I actually had Tyson Am. Apologies. So, so adding that to mine. Mackenzie Dern was your pick. Nico Price, you got uh, Johnny Walker, David Dvorak, and uh, Irvin Rivera. Uh, this should be interesting, Nick. I think this could go either way uh, for a lot of reasons. This is a you know not not fully an easy uh, card to pick, but I do think there are some fights that are good opportunities on the betting line. Uh, good one, Nick. Good luck with the betting segments, and I uh, I look forward to you hearing how much money you made. Oh, I can't wait to boast about the amount of money I made on my win over you, buddy. Back for the MMA Geeks betting guide. Last week was another successful one, five weeks in a row of profits. Since we started three weeks ago at $300, we're at $768 at this point. $59 profit from this last week. I ended up winning on that Matafari decision. Ended up winning on green by decision. A couple of props worked out there for me. And then the parlay of Mazo and Romanov came through as well for a $59, deci- uh, for $59 profit. And then... We had a couple of losses with some throwaway prop bets that I put up, $30 there, and then a loss on the Bobby Green and Julia Avila parlay. Julia Avila did not come through, but we're in the green. We're continuing to make profits. Let's get into this week's betting guide. First, I recommend a straight bet on Ryan Spann, a plus 110, $45 to win 50. He's fighting Johnny Walker, and Johnny Walker has proven that his conditioning is not great. He can explode and knock somebody out in the first few moments, and Span has been knocked out, so I realize there is risk there. But I like Span here. He's going to know to go for the takedown. He's going to have the conditioning advantage. And on top of that, Johnny Walker doesn't have a great chin himself, and Span hits hard as well. So I like Span's meat and potatoes kind of basics to Johnny Walker's exploding early and then uh, you know slowing down as the fight progresses. I like a straight bet on Nam. Tyson Nam at minus 145, $50 to win 35. A bet on Dvorak at minus 110. He's fighting Espinosa, $50 to win 45. I think even though Espinosa will be much faster early on, Dvorak's grit, determination, his experience, I think will take over throughout this bout. I'm also going to recommend five parlays on this one more than usual. First, Covington and Holland. Combined to give you about minus 122, I believe, $60 to win 49 bucks on those two. Covington, I expect to piece up Woodley. You know, there's a chance that he takes a big right hand, but I don't like those odds. And then Holland is the much, much taller man than Stewart. I think Stewart will have some trouble pressuring Holland, especially since Holland also has the ground game advantage in that one. And then we have Covington uh, and Rivera. Another parlay involving Covington. I realize there's some risk there in putting the same guy in two parlays. I usually don't do this, but I am confident in him. Uh, I think Irvin Rivera has what it takes to beat Ewell. Ewell will be fast and 
really effective in the first round, and then he's going to taper off. And I think Irvin's continuous push is going to make a difference, especially with Irvin training with uh, Sanford MMA under Henry Hooft. I think that'll be to his benefit. Now, the odds on this one are great. $20 to win 54 on Covington and Irwin Rivera. Then a parlay on Gavin Newsom, who's fighting Costa and Chimaev, who is fighting Mirchard, of course. Chimaev is a huge favorite, and Newsom is just a little bit of a favorite there. $42 to win 50 on that parlay. I think those are pretty good odds and worth the risk. And then we have Myra Buena Silva, who's fighting Barella. And Baeza, who's fighting this newcomer named Wells, who's taking this on extremely short notice. Um, $60 to win 51 on Baeza and Silva in that one. Finally, a parlay on Nico Price, who's fighting Donald Cerrone, and Mackenzie Dern, who's fighting Random Marcos. $30 to win 50 on those two combined. And that will do it for the betting guide this week. You guys know I like to end this show by previewing the next card, and this is the big one. UFC 253, Adesanya versus Costa. Obviously, two undefeated men who've looked pretty damn solid in the UFC thus far. Israel Adesanya going up against Polo Costa. We've got Dominic Reyes and Jan Blakowicz vying for the vacant light heavyweight championship. Two title fights at the helm. I love that. Hakim Duwadu's coming back against Zubaria Tahugov. That is guaranteed knockout. Although Duwadu does often go to a workman-like decision. Kaikara France and Brandon Rival. I think that's a little bit early for Rival, but interesting fight. Caitlin Barrera, Marion Renau, Diego Sanchez, Jake Matthews. Fascinating that they're giving Matthews that kind of rub. We've got Brad Riddell and Alex Da Silva. That's an interesting matchup. Brad Riddell's a monster, and Alex Da Silva, 21 and 2. The madman Nate Landwehr is going up against Shane Young in another interesting kind of prospect matchup and to be honest this card is a little top heavy although there's some entertainment value in brad riddell and nate land where i see a lot of new names at the very bottom of the card so a little bit underwhelming at some points especially for a pay-per-view i would say last week's and this week's cards have several better fights on there than does the bottom half of this one but still very much looking forward to that paulo costa israel adesanya main event and obviously the dominic reyes and blackowicz uh, fight will be interesting as well to crown the light heavyweight champ I hope that Reyes wins because he has a real argument to say that he beat Jones and he's been undefeated and he can rule over this division. Another good one in the books. Looking forward to talking about this card next week. Thanks for listening.